Welcome back, folks, to Two Bits One Puck. I'm your host, Mr. Intangibles, and a fancy boy, Dan Masters, with my good friend, a man who's 10 days away from being married and only a week away from moving to his new house. Well, Everett, well, how are you doing? I, I'm very well. One of those facts is incorrect. Uh, I regret to inform everyone that my wedding is now cancelled. No, our house has been pushed back for another couple of weeks now. Oh, no. You're so, kidding. That's not too bad. It's only until the 31st. So that's all right. Still. I suppose. I mean, you've waited, what, three years to move in anyway, so what's another two weeks? Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially as, yeah. you know, we were initially told, you know, when we, when we sort of reserved the plot, it's like, yeah, you know, between June and the end of August, yeah, that, that that's about right, providing there's no delays. And then, you know, after a winter of no delays, uh, here we are, looking at uh, November. So only five months late. Ah, oh, fantastic. I don't really have a, a pressing question of the week. It's more a, an observation, but being back week to week recording the show is a bit of a motherfucker, isn't it? Yeah, there's um, there's yeah, there's nothing to talk about. But... <laughs> it's not terrible, but I, when we were doing the two weekly shows, I was could always kind of relax after we did the show because it's, people don't realise, it takes all together in recording, editing, everything else, about five hours to record and sort of put the show together. So it's a nice little break then of a week before we'd have to start again. And I got to Saturday morning and I thought, God, I've got to start taking notes and stuff already. I'm, I already need to start planning next week's show. Got to start and I'm already attention. chasing my tail in terms of, yeah, I've got to start paying attention to articles and things. I'd better start reading Sportsnet and TSN again and looking for things. It's hard, isn't it? It's, especially looking at like a, a league-wide sort of thing, you know, where we're not, we're not a specific team podcast or something like that, having to find something interesting to talk about. It would keep be a lot easier, yeah, because keep it every team picture. has that little thing. Well, yeah, because then, yeah, exactly, then exactly. we could do like an hour just talking about whether Justin Dowling deserves to have a spot in the NHL and, you know, people who <laughs> aren't stuff. You know, all of our listenership would know Justin Dowling is, whereas I'd imagine most of them don't because he shouldn't even be on the stars. <laughs> so fucking there you go. When half the people are discussing, hang on a minute, how good is Luke Glendening? Really? <laughs> and we're like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> He might he be the next best player ever. He's the second really line centre that your team needs. Trade for him. Send yeah, him the first. that your team really needs for one point eight. He's like making one point eight million, and he's absolutely phenomenal. But that's the hard thing where like there's that that disconnect. Yeah, you, know, you can be you can be a great analytic player, and you can have fantastic like impacts on on uh, shot metrics and expected goals and stuff, but. In a lot of situations, if you're not actually converting goals or anything, you're not as useful as you could be, sort of thing. It's true. Do you know what? Luke Glendening is the first player I've... I've just thought this. He's the first player who has statistical data that's amazing, but he also has intangibles. <laughs> he's, the, he's the chosen one. He can, uh, he can bridge the gap. <laughs> Do you know what he is? He's the new two-way player. <laughs> He's statistically Re- redefining the, and he uh... has intangibles. <laughs> yeah, he's redefining the two-way player role and what it actually means. He's the first one. <laughs> he's uh, he's the um, the Nelson Mandela of uh, of hockey players, basically. <laughs> Already, I'm chasing my own tail with in regards to results and things like that because I was looking at the Hurricanes for something we'll talk about a bit later. And I, I, I just missed the fact they lost already. They lost the game to the Blue Jackets. I, I didn't even know that result happened. And I check Twitter every single morning. It's the first thing I do. I wake up and then sort of while I'm sort of half getting awake, I just scroll onto Twitter and look at the hockey scores and stuff. Didn't even see that score. No idea it even happened. It's it's the thing where as long as the team's on a run and like, you know, winning or losing X amount in a row, you always hear about it. But as soon as that changes, like, you know, 
like Hurricanes losing one game, you never get the big alert. Oh my god, the Hurricanes are now six and one. It's just yeah. as soon as you lose, ah, whatever, nobody cares. Unless it's some know, like crazy streak, like you know, maybe going forty nine games in a row unbeaten. Back in the grind. Let's get on with the show, shall we? Let's have it. Welcome back. It's the Smooth Recap. Let me tell you it's something, Tony Schiavone. David Pasternak becomes the third member of an already elite club with his own four-goal game, joining this season's ever-expanding Four Horsemen. Woo! This is a public service announcement reminding all NHL fans we are only two weeks into the new season and to advise against any rash behaviour in response to a team's poor start. They'll always be compared, and while Jack Hughes has struggled so far, fans across New York are caca and cuckoo for Capo Caca, as he nets his first goal. In spite of our previous announcement, the Dallas Stars have well and truly fucked it. Please visit the team store at American Airlines Center to pre-order your Alexi Lafreniere jerseys. Victor Bangan Olufsen is music to the Buffalo Sabres ears as he set an NHL record as the first player to score his first seven career goals on the power play. Ryan Reeves is officially on the trade block after Mark Stone proved he's the big dog on campus by one-shotting Roman Yossi. Word is Reeves will have to prove his worth as a first-line world-class winger after Stone has stolen his job as a heavyweight bruiser. Petr Cech makes a winning start to his Guildford Phoenix debut as he saves the decisive shot in the shootout. John Terry, seen spotted in the stand in his full kit, ran onto the ice to celebrate with his former teammate. <laughs> I can only imagine the Avalanche's 5-0 start is due to the hockey gods feeling the need to mug me off for some previous transgression. All I can say to that is I'm not fucking sorry. The post-game ritual of awarding players a trophy reaches dangerous levels as the Habs player of the game gets a sword it's ironic, gifting the players a torture device, as they've been torturing their own fans with their honest performance for 25 years now. So, um, Patrick Lino was right, hey. And that was your smooth recap. <laughs> all right, there we go. Fucking all that Mark Stone punch. Jesus. Yeah, mental. Absolutely <sighs> mental. But what, why, I don't know why the fight started. I don't know. I just I just saw they both kind of skate to each other at the front of the net. Play carries on, and then that was it. And then five seconds later, that was it again. As Yossi goes down, this is it. Like if, for an if, you, if you ask me to pick two people to, uh, you know, from from Night's Predators to uh, to have a fight, <laughs> they, they'd have probably been at, at least like you know eighteenth and nineteenth on their teams respectively. Yeah, the bottom the bottom twenty percent for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. That's such a such an <laughs> okay. absolute thump. Who's winning the cup this week for you? Winning the cup this week will be the Winnipeg Jets, as uh, Mark Shifley and Patrick Laine are uh, yeah, absolutely dominating. That Laine kid's pretty good, isn't he? He's, he's alright, he's alright. He's finally getting that opportunity to flourish on the first line, which is very generous of Paul Maurice to, to give to him, you know, with, with no sort of prior 
you know niggling or or any request or or you know huff from the player. It's not like he's sulked in his native country for the entirety of the summer. And uh, yeah, it's really paying off. It was a good gamble from from the Jets coach there. I'm hoping it's written into his new contract. He has to play a certain amount of minutes with certain players. I'd love it. <laughs> like Shifley is my centre or else my cap hit doubles. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Or my term halves or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Now, Will, I'm not one to blow my own trumpet, as you know. No, because it got rich. Or pat myself on the back. No, yeah, or pat myself on the back. But I did predict the Hurricanes would win the Metro last week. <laughs> And someone, I won't say who, but their name rhymes with Will Everett, said I was crazy. Did you know, Will, since January the 1st, the Hurricanes have more wins than any other team? That's, that's, really, that's really good. And it's, it's especially handy for you that, that they've started handing out the President's Trophy seven games into the, uh, into the season. So con- congratulations, Dan. Congratulations. Thank you. You should be Thank you. very Thank proud you. of yourself. He was getting relegated. Uh, the team that are obviously getting relegated this week, Dan, are the Winnipeg Jets because they still don't have any <laughs> defensemen. <laughs> That's so true. I may be, I may be touching on those uh, same Winnipeg Jets a little bit later. Yeah, good. Nice, uh, nice getting relegated. Teaser. Getting relegated for me is the National Post, which is a newspaper in Canada, where they story that came out yesterday and then developed again today. I don't want to get into this too much because I feel that. Given it press is kind of doing it somewhat of a disservice to the story they wrote. But former NHL player uh, Donald Brashear had a story written about him. I won't go into particulars, but the National Post used a picture of a different black player, uh, George Larac. And like I said, I don't want to get into it too much, but fuck me. Just, I don't, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't, because it's just going to drive me mad, but... Christ Almighty! I just just research people. How hard is it to to get facts straight and things like that? I, I've said I've said this before. There are times when I I, I will check things five, six, seven times because I just go back and think, no, did I really check that right? Is that really the right? You know, like a goalie save percentage or how many goals a player scored or like last week we talked about the Debrinket Strom thing at Ariotas. I must have gone back and redone those calculations three or four times, and I'm still not sure I did them right. Because I just kept thinking, no, that can't be right. And we're just two fucking goofs in England at bloody nine o'clock at night. This is the National Post. And nobody at some point said, so that's the right player, is it? That's the right guy. Yeah, but but Dan... Like, they just accepted it. Getting things like save percentages and, you know, even strength goals scored and stuff like that, getting that right is really important. And, and yeah, true, has a long history true, yeah. of, of quite pro- problematic issues arising when, when people you know, don't do their right research and and jump to conclusions. Not like, you know, picturing an ethnic minority NHL player. You don't have to be careful with that sort of stuff because there's there's no history of issue in, in that. And, you know, there's no no deeper problematic causes for concern within the wider culture surrounding that topic. The, the thing that, yeah, you're right. Good point. I never, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that gets me about this is, like, that really concerns me deeply, apart from just the initial mistake by, you know, whatever copy editor puts in the photos... So they probably got it from like a an image library like uh, like Getty or something like that, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure whether it is Getty, but let's say it is Getty for a, just for a placeholder. So either other image libraries are available. Other image and probably are you know subject to the same issue. But so whoever yes. went to look for for this photo of when looking for a photo of Donald Brashear, either searched for like Canadians players 
and then just saw the first image with a black person in and was like, right, that's got to be uh, Don, yeah, It had to Don be Bashir. him. Who else could it be? Or yeah. even more worrying, it goes further down the rabbit hole. They went onto yeah, your uh, image library's website, typed in Donald Bashir, and it brought up a photo of um, of George Lorac. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's it's just like horrendous. So many different reasons for for that mistake being awful. And I didn't, I didn't like the story either. I cannot. Maybe I'm gonna have to say it. The story's about Donald Bashir now working at, at Tim Hortons. That was the story. Now, to me, I could, I don't give a shit. The guy had an NHL career. He's still got to pay his bills and everything, um, all that kind of whatever. He's now got a real job. So fucking good on the guy for at least getting out there and doing something about it, and you know, trying to sort himself back out. You know, I don't care about those stories. I, I know people who've fucking been on hard times and had to, you know, I know people who have, who've had lots of money and then lost. I know two people. I say people like it's fifty. I know two people who've had a good job, lots of money you know sort of crushing it in life and they've just bad decision bad investment house has gone through the floor whatever and just lost everything and had to start again and i always sympathize because to start again is like it must be the fucking hardest thing it must be the hardest thing especially when you're in the public eye so i never really enjoy reading those stories as kind of a oh my god look what he's doing now type thing because well people still got to eat they still got to pay bills you know a job's a job at the end of the day so but right yeah and on every layer this Fucking hell! This just this was just ridiculous. And it's it's the framing of the story as well. Like uh, like Wyszynski tweeted out um, instead of framing it for what it is, which is a man who fell on hard times and is now putting his life back together, which should be commended. Yeah, they're framing it in in the tabloidest way they possibly could. All right, let's move on. How many starters you got? Uh, I've got one. I've got one of each this week. Conservative. Oh, I've got one and three. One and th- so three go, scratches this early in the season. Bloody hell. Yeah, I'm, I'm already, I'm already in the, you know, I'm like, I'm a complicated man. I'm already in my anger mode. Let's just go. to get rid of him. <laughs> I want to, I want a sincere start. Uh, I'm going to start Mika Zibanejad because he's absolutely on fire, on fire. Eight points through, yeah. eight points in his first two games. Point, a point in his third, which is uh, a shame. His, I know it's early season and you can't, you know, you can't. Eight points in three games isn't exactly sustainable, but. Love the way he plays. I really hope that he, he carries on to, to have a big season, especially just to rub it in Eugene Melnick's face a bit more. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start again, a little image, a little video this week that we saw. It was uh, Alex Ovechkin Jr. Sergei Ovechkin is the boy's name at the game watching his dad. <laughs> and I feel that we should keep this on file. We should keep this on record because you know at some point little Sergei Ovechkin's going to grow up to an absolute powerhouse. He's going to be smashing in 50 a season. And we're going to all come back and go, oh my God, you remember that time he went to his first Caps game and he like tapped, you know, and Ovi tapped on the glass and his son was there. This is nice. This is one of those little things I think, yeah, this is going to happen. You just know it. In, uh, in 30 years when he's uh, he's knocking on breaking his dad's scoring record and we're all saying, <laughs> oh yeah, and, and Sergei's <laughs> doing it in a time when we've got robot defenders and the, the spikes <laughs> are coming out of the ice and his dad never had to contend with that nonsense. His dad never had to contend with, yeah, robotic linesmen and umpires and things like that and people calling in from Toronto to make decisions on the ice and things. And his father played before the polar ice caps fully melted and he did, he never had to play underwater like poor Sergei does. <laughs> that's so oh, that's funny yet terrifying because it's true. Okay. Yeah, I got three scratches. So my early season scratch, and as we always say, it's the second week of the season, but I don't care. Paying a goalie $10 million for 
an early pay setting 872 save percentage isn't great. And while there is plenty of information to suggest that sometimes bad goals aren't always goalie's fault, Brabovsky didn't look good the other night against the Devils because I watched that whole game and he looked shaky, shall we say. There's uh, the the Panthers themselves haven't looked particularly good so far for um I know bloody hell. for a team that's effectively taken on the Hurricanes mantle of yeah you know, oh next season next season or or should we say Coyotes I don't know whoever it might be we're going to compare them to they're they're the team that everyone wants to pick and um maybe you shouldn't yeah maybe you shouldn't ten million dollars Jesus and, and okay. that's, that's not too I'll do premature one. though Dan okay. because that's a take you could have had on January 2nd and it would have <laughs> been absolutely yeah you're, you're spot on there I'm fairly sure I'm fairly sure we did in the off season when these things were happening and we looked at the four goalies in the conference finals last season and then we decided yeah maybe 10 million dollars is a bit much for a goalie I'm also going to scratch combined the Jets and the Wild after the Penguins scored seven goals against them both as the Penguins at this point are Crosby, Gensel, Latang, and Murray, and then the under-11s filling in for the rest of the players. <laughs> so I think <laughs> I think to concede seven against them is uh, actually a sin, Will. I think it's in the in the Ten Commandments somewhere. I was wondering why so many of the Penguins players were wearing full cages, but now it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they'd just gone full you know, skill and speed rather than size and grit, but no, it's just child labour at its finest. Dude, how are you conceded seven goals to that Penguins team? Oh my god. <sighs> yeah, I don't really want to think about it. I don't really want to think about yeah. it. Yeah. Alright, what have you got for a scratch? Uh my single scratch this week is coaches. Just coaches who specifically underutilize or inappropriately deploy their young players. Or don't deploy their skilled young players at all. Like David Quinn, not playing uh Vitali Kravtsov. Sending him down and then him ended up getting scratched in the AHL, which is a bit perverse. One of the most talented young players outside of the NHL. And he's yeah, and he's come out today saying he might go back to Russia, hasn't he? Exactly, exactly. And like the Dallas Stars mishandling Denis Gurianov, taking back to Josh Hosan getting waived recently. It's just mental. Like I can't I can't list all of them because I guarantee every coach in the league has got at least one talented young player that should be in the lineup but isn't. And it's uh it's it's not only harmful for the for the league and the game of hockey itself. It's harmful for their own careers. Like it just I've had enough. I've had enough. Like friend of the show, Micah put out a while ago. It was it was looking at like aging curves and stuff, and the line was something along the lines of by the time a coach has realised a young player's good enough to play in the NHL, he's already past his peak or something like that. And uh, oh yes, yeah, yeah that's we just right. see it again and again and again and again. Especially, and it's no it coincidence that the two players that immediately spring to mind are Russian. <laughs> I did. I was just going to wait for you to finish the sentence. And I was going to say, how many of these players will are good old Canadian boys? <laughs> Absolutely, well, not very many. That list I yeah. spurted out. You've got two Russians, and you've got, <laughs> and you've got a minority player. Like <laughs> you couldn't, yeah, exactly. you couldn't make it up, could you? Yeah. Let's not forget, by the way. Oh, you know, I don't care that you've had to literally uproot your entire life at 18 years of age, come to a completely new country, learn a new language, change everything, the way you drive, food, friends, relationships. No, forget all that. You you are not doing this thing with this puck. So fuck off down to a minor leagues and just enjoy it and like it. Tough. Yeah, the, the league don't owe you nothing unless you're punching people in the face. Who's, who's your last scratch, well, Mr. Masters? Unbelievably, I, if I if if I'd have had this on a sweepstake, the option to choose 
three games into the season. I wouldn't have chose three games into the season. And what I'm talking about is, of course, a St. Louis Blues being bottom of the table, then winning the Stanley Cup reference. As Bruce Boudreau, after three games of this season, made that statement. I can't believe it's happened already. <laughs> so, obviously, like the, the Wild have had a bad start. And he was in the press conference after the third game, and he said, well, the Blues were at the bottom last year and they ended up winning the Cup. So, and I just thought, oh my God, we're three games in. I, I seem to be... And someone's in, uh, already made that reference. I, th- I think I'm in pre-season form still, but the problem is it's pre-season 2014 because I was looking at the standings and thinking, what's he talking about? The Ducks are second in the division. Well, they're doing all right. <laughs> um, so, the problem with the, the Blues comparison and analogies that you know, we're going to hear hundreds more from especially yeah i was gonna say yeah the problem with comparing them to most teams is is as as you well know dan the blues were good <laughs> the blues had yeah they had a good team a they had good players on their, of on their very good, good players the problem was they had jake allen in net and uh and the coach yeah. was stupid quite frankly so uh what they did was they got rid of the stupid coach and very fortunately brought in who seems to be quite a good one and managed to to find the second coming of Scott Darling who managed to hold on to his freakish (laughs) form for the rest of the season and uh, that's how they won the cup. It's not the likes of the Wild, the Kings, the Canucks I'm going to put in that. Uh, I feel like we're going to get a Canucks at some point. Canadians are looking a little bit bluesy at the moment and the Devils uh, who just don't have the horses, Dan. And and even if you do have the horses, say the Sharks carry on like this, yeah, Sharks are on the bottom of the Pacific at the moment, if if memory serves. Who have the Sharks got to to call up for Martin Jones? Nobody. Nobody at all. The, the Blues were such a freak combination of things that you're never going to see it repeated. Never, ever again. It's really going to annoy me having to hear that analogy at least another five times this year. Yeah, Boudreaux's already lamenting his players as well, like the squad around him, saying things like, well, I haven't got a magic potion to make them faster. Every team wants to be fast, but we're not, so we just got to play boring hockey. No shit, Bruce. No shit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily mind that. Like, There's an element of, of honesty there, of just like, yeah, we're not fast, so we're going gonna, gonna to play to our strength sort of thing. But um... Hold on. I don't mind it, but... Three games in, he's already complaining. He's already, he's already got he's already got the defeatist attitude. Hey, there's only seventy nine games to go. Quite, Maybe win some of them. Quite frankly, old Brucey should be happy that he still has a job three games into the season. <laughs> some people haven't Fair been that point. lucky, Dan. Before we get on to our interview with Paul Campbell, esteemed goalie savant, and before we get onto the news, I do want to just say, please do rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your shows. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. And coming up, we'll be on YouTube as well. I've changed the way we host our podcasts. So we're now with a a new hosting service, which is called Red Circle, which is great. And a top review helps out two goofs like us produce more content for you, the fans. And I know it's a pain in the arse. And I know I used to be the worst person for doing this. But it is really important to independent shows. If you're listening to something produced by the BBC or NBC or whatever, they can go fuck themselves. They've got their money. They're they're doing fine. When you go to, the, if you just go to the toilet or something, if you're having a dump, just take two minutes out while you're sat in there doing nothing. Just you know, as you as you're pinching a loaf, just jump on and give us the old five stars, which would be great. Yeah. And this is absolutely crazy. God knows why you'd want to. You can also donate to the show now, which is hilarious, by going to Red Circle Podcasts, finding Two Bits One Puck, and clicking sponsor the podcast. 
Okay then, let's go on to Paul Campbell, a thoroughly good all-around chap. Okay everybody, in light of my love of a cheeky 1-0 hockey game, and as a fan of all things low scoring, I thought we should have somebody on the show who's well versed in that side of the game. So please welcome on a writer for Ingle Media, and a contributor to Sportsnet and The Athletic, and some would say a goaltending savant. Paul Campbell. Paul, how are you doing? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I appreciate being oversold at the beginning, and, and then people can <laughs> I can let people down gently and gradually as, as the podcast continues. No, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build you up. I'm going to build you up as you go along. That's, that's the idea. Oh, mate, there's nowhere to go from here, though. We started too high. <laughs> oh, no, it's we peaked too soon. Okay, too okay. Soon. I'll start you off with an easy one then. And this may be redundant asking a Canadian this question, but I'm always interested to hear, how did hockey find its way to you? Oh, that's great. Um, Dad was a hockey fan. Uh, and I remember, I mean, some of my earliest memories are just sitting on a couch in front of a really primitive color TV watching something I didn't understand, but it was hockey. And so uh, you're right, it's pretty pervasive here. So it's difficult to have a childhood uh, that escapes hockey. Um, and so it just it just gradually grew from there. My grandfather was a, a, a big uh, hockey complainer, a, a fan, but mostly a complainer. <laughs> and uh, my paternal grandfather and uh, and dad was similar, although less complaining and uh, more more of a, a true fan. Cool. What was it then that drew you to joining the No Fun team and becoming a goalie? <laughs> because I've I've always found out because I was a goalie as well, not in ice hockey, but I was a goalie in field hockey and a goalie mm-hmm. in soccer, and I've always thought. For some reason, there was just something about being a goalie that drew me in. I didn't, I didn't choose goalie. Goalie seemed to choose me. And I wonder if that's the same for you. Oh, that's really I, – I love that way of putting it. I, I think there's something about goaltending that's magic. Do, do you play any role-playing games? I do. Uh, like well, RPGs? I played, yeah, I played uh, Dungeons & Dragons now and again. Now, now um, do you choose uh, Wizard as your character class? I do not. Okay. I'm, uh, I want to do a study, uh, a, a very uh, formal academic study, obviously, maybe on Twitter, yes. uh, to see what the correlation is between uh, character type and position. Because I feel like goaltenders um, often uh, have a personality type that draws them to magic, that draws them to being the person who is not quite uh, like the others, who, is, who, who, is, who has these magical abilities that are in some ways very limiting and require a lot of support. Uh, but on the other hand, enable you to do something uh, that other people can't do. Uh, and I, I've always felt like that from the first time I ever laid eyes on this weird-looking uh, person standing in the net doing things that the others aren't doing. Uh, that for some reason that always drew me in. So I, I think that's the I, I think that's the the, the, the big connection uh, for me. Uh, that that was the person who was doing something that was incredible, uh, that was different from everyone else, and that seemed somewhat magical. It is such a strange position because it's it can be. I think if a goalie does well, they're kind of unnoticed. Yet one mistake on the ice, and you let a goal in, and that's it. And everyone yeah. crucifies you. And there is a a very high risk, not seemingly much reward. So sort of, unless you stand on your head to make fifty saves, obviously that's different. But that mm-hmm. seems to be forgotten if the next night you let in a softy. Yeah, uh, and I find that even within a game, you could be playing. Lights out. Absolutely incredible. And then you give away the puck and the other team scores. Then you lose one nothing. You've just made 45 saves. But that one gaffe seems yes. to negate the, uh, the perception of the quality of your play for, for the entire game. And then there's a lasting effect. So the next game goes and people are like, well, should we give him the puck? Can he actually <laughs> play? Uh, it, it, this, this happens especially at the lower levels, obviously. Not so much in the higher levels. But I've always found that the kinds of mistakes you can make as a goalie are so massive that they can 
uh, they can then do a, a, a really good run of good play. With that in mind then, I'm not saying you ever have, of course. I wouldn't cast aspersions on your goaltending ability. <laughs> but if you've ever let in a softie, are you the kind of person who wants your team to just leave you alone and let you work it out in your own head? Or do you want them to come and pat on the back and say, it's okay, man, let's just carry on. It's fine, it's fine. Yeah, in a competitive environment. So like you know, a very recent example, obviously I'm not playing at any level right now, but uh, I play a rec game and then I play a league game. And at the rec game, obviously, it's no stakes. Whatever happens, happens. Uh, when the stakes are higher, it's really nice to have someone come back and just give you a tap in the pads uh, for me. It doesn't matter you know, what they say. No one has to give me any advice. Don't do that. N- never do that. Uh, <laughs> advice is the exact last. If you're, if you're a hockey player, don't go back and tell your goaltender what he or she should have done differently because that is absolutely not helpful. But an encouragement, a tap in the pads. Uh, last game, a buddy of mine came over and said, hey, shake it off, Zen Garden, let's go. But it, kind of a weird thing to say, but it, but it set me at ease, right? Uh, it sort of puts things in, in the, into perspective. So I find that helpful, but do ask your goalie, right? If you're, if you're playing in a pretty good league, uh, see what your goalie likes. You can usually also tell by their reaction. So they'll give you a nod, whatever. If they don't make eye contact with you and just stare down at the ice and sort of look like a little huffy, maybe just stay away. <laughs> uh, you sort of uh, give it a read, right? So read the room uh, and, and see where you stand because most goalies tend to be consistent uh, you know, with, with their own practice in that regard. Uh, but from goalie to goalie, things differ. So I appreciate a tap, but some guys might not want that. It was interesting what you say about, because I'm, I'm an only child, and I've often wondered mm-hmm. if that's, my, that's what drew me to being a goalie because you don't practice, obviously, with the other players really. In any kind of sport, you, you have your own little practices, your own routines. You're not doing the same things everyone else is doing on the ice. Like pretty much 98% of everybody else on the ice is doing the same thing. And you're just stood there, you know, obviously having pucks dinged off you. I yeah. wondered if there was like an only child thing or, I don't know, something oh. like that. Uh, well, what I've been noticing, uh, at, at, over at Ingle, they, um, they do a podcast and uh, they interview goaltenders, usually pro goalies. And they ask them how they got their start. And there are a few ways that goaltenders sort of very commonly get their start. And one of them is the younger sibling phenomenon. So you end up being the – you want to play with the big kids, but you can't really go out there and whack the ball around. And they don't really want you. However, none of them wants to be a goalie. So you end up being the goalie so that you can go and play with your your older siblings. And that's a really, really common uh, phenomenon I I think half the goalie stories that I've heard, even from these pros, uh, said that, yeah, I want to play, you know, I wanted to play, and my older brother stuck me in net, and I ended up really liking it. So I, I find that's common. As far as only siblings, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen any correlation, but uh, I think there's enough variety that, you know, uh, these things uh, these things happen or not. Like, I'm an, I'm an oldest, uh, and I ended up being the goalie, so it's not 100%, oh, okay. but uh, I, I think the older, the being a younger sibling is something that, that happens quite often. Yeah, so I guess then as well, if, you're, if your older brother puts you in there and he has a great shot and you make a great save, you get that feeling of, oh my God, I just saved it from my older brother. I must be like this or something. <laughs> like, you get that massive, like that rush, that euphoria, I guess. Well, it's magic. You get to be included with the older kids, which is already a big deal. And then... Um, you get really good because your brother, you know, your sister, two, three, four years older, right? And so you're facing shots from a very young age from much more talented shooters. And 
that's a recipe for success so long as you can do it, right? So long as you, you know, aren't overwhelmed and, and aren't injured in the process, so long as they're not too much better. And so you're always playing a little bit above your level at home, and that can translate into good things, right, on the ice. When you're playing against your peers, things tend to seem a lot easier. Yeah, very true, very true. So let's have a little quick look at the NHL. Um, I was wondering about Michael Neuwirth in Toronto, mm-hmm. and I know it's been reported that he was injured, whereas first it wasn't being reported that he was injured. Is there any situation, do you think, where, as a goalie, he may have gone into that and just thought, this is not the right fit? Or could you imagine a situation where something like that, where a goalie goes into a team on a PTO and he just thinks, you know what, this isn't right, I'm not in the right headspace? Because it's, it's more mental, isn't it, than anything else. So I was wondering if that could be the case. I mean, it's always possible that if you're a goalie and you don't have a ride for the season, I think that's stressful. Yeah. Uh, I think Neuvirth is a good, is a solid goaltender, and he has been throughout most of his career, but he's been injured, right? Um, yeah. There have been a few. Uh, we were talking about notable gaffes earlier. There have been a few notable gaffes that it, that have just taken his stock down dramatically, requiring him. Right, uh, at injuries and, and requiring him to be, need, be needing a PTO at this point in his career. Um, so it's possible that he got to camp, almost like Bufflin this year, got to camp and was like, whoa, uh, I don't know if I want to be doing this anymore. So that's always a possibility. But um, if he's interested in playing and he's on a PTO, um, I think it's really unlikely that he saw this as uh, a bad fit and decided to opt out because his options at this point are very limited. So yeah. while it's always possible, I, I, uh, if he wants to play in the NHL this year or near the NHL this year or, or have a chance to get back there, uh, I think he had to turn in a good performance here and, and make a role because he might not get another. It's unlikely he's going to get another crack uh, this early, at least uh, this early season. That is true. I went back and looked at his earnings and he's made about $18 million over his career. So I guess he doesn't really need the money. He can go back to the uh, <laughs> Czech Republic and live like a king if he wants to, I suppose. So. I, wor- I worry so much about these guys, though, because well, I know for me, when I w- when as a student, I live like a student, right? And that amount of money was oh, going to sustain true. me. Um, then when, when you know, I got, have more a little more money now, so I'm OK. But imagine uh, thinking you were going to have millions of dollars every year for the next decade or 15 years and then nope hope i hope he's budgeted i always hope these guys are really like that they have a really good plan to at least live like um a regular person uh, after their careers even if things get cut short because man that would be difficult to go from living like a multi-millionaire to living like well from from you know on on essentially nothing or, or very little uh that would be a really that would be really tough that's so true. Yeah, my wife I my wife has a much more stressful, well-paid job than me. She makes a fortune compared to what I make. And she says to me, mm-hmm. like, do you never want to make any more money? And I said, why? Because we just, we just spend it. <laughs> like, instead of having one foreign holiday, we'd have two or three. Instead of having these cars, we'd have bigger cars. We would. You end up just living to your means, don't you? And I guess you're right. If you suddenly have millions and millions of dollars, you start thinking, oh, great. I've got millions of dollars. I'll go and spend millions of dollars. It, you, we're able to calibrate so easily that... They come up with uh, these articles in the New York Times and Washington Post, especially the New York Times, and uh, it'll be a profile of someone who's making $400,000 and um, barely getting by. And then you look, and you're like, oh, um, you do have three vacations in a year. You have, you have uh, four weeks of paid vacation, which in the States, uh, where, where most of these people are, is quite a lot. Yeah. Um, you have your retirement um, plan fully stocked. You, you know, they're doing great. They just happen to be spending all their money, right? So it's not that they're barely making it. It's that 
they're really well set up and they've budgeted really well so that they're spending what they make. And I, I think all of us tend to be like that unless there's some other factor that causes you uh, to be more frugal or, or you know, to want to uh, put money somewhere else, right, or to give, to give some money somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. I, you always hear about in this country about soccer players who find themselves going bankrupt or in massive debts. And there was one who I won't name, but you can find this out if you look into it online. Mm-hmm. But he got into a situation where he owed, he owed so many people so much money that he was hiding in snowdrifts at Christmas because there were people <laughs> knocking on the door for money. And I was thinking, oh, my God, like you are making tens of thousands of pounds a week. How are you in this situation? And then he did an interview years later. And he said, well, yeah, he said, I had like millions of dollars, but I was living like I had tens of millions of dollars. Yep. And he just said, he said, I just kept thinking, well, the money's always going to keep rolling in. It will always keep rolling in. And, it, and obviously at some point, then it just stops. And how do you, yeah, I guess, how do you then go from having all that money to not having that money coming in all the time? And it's so sudden, right? Um, very few yes. players. And the NHL has started to get better with this. They've started to do post-career counseling uh, in, a, in a much more earnest and sincere way so that players can start getting involved uh, a lot sooner because you spend your whole life pursuing this career. And most of these players have really dedicated their entire existence to this. They've foregone, you know, university. They've, instead of going to high school, a lot of these players have, you know, taken sort of private education while they, or, or tutor education while they've done their junior hockey. And so they're aimed at, they're like a missile aimed at one end. And when they achieve it, that's amazing. Then they make all this money. And then by the time they're 30, 35, you know, Maybe 40, right? If you're if you're an exception, you're done. A lot of people are just starting their careers in earnest at that age. They've finished their education training, they've gone through the apprenticeship levels, and finally, you know, they're they're 40 and they're really established in the career. And for NHL players, they're finished. So what do you do? Right? And uh, I think it's fantastic that former players in the NHL itself is finally getting uh, serious about helping players after their careers because uh, no one's taught them how to do this. No one's taught them how to do anything but play hockey. And so transitioning into a new line of work, into broadcasting, uh, learning how to manage your money, all these things are so important and, and they get overlooked by the players who, you know, to, who don't have that foresight, who've never been given the education that they need uh, to really contemplate these things seriously. Will and I have joked, kind of semi-serious on the floor, but being in a professional sports team that's the national sport, it's almost like being in the army because you're, you're <laughs> so ingrained in that system yeah. and in that style. How do you then go from, okay, it's Monday, we've got a game today, you've got a weekend road trip, off to California, back next week, then we've got practice, and blah, 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 blah. How do you then just go to nothing? How, you know, your, your day is not regimented anymore. You're not got, you've not got people, essentially, because hockey players as well, like you have somebody telling you what to do all the time. Your coach mm-hmm. will say to you, you need to be here, you need to do this. GMs on the phone, sponsorship deals, going to hospitals, all that kind of thing to meet, you know, children and all that kind of stuff. And then to go from that to, well, now you've got to decide your own life. Like, that must be insane. It must be such such a, a mess around in your head. Like, I don't know how they cope with it. Well, I mean, uh, think about some players, right, who have been just fantastic, who have retired and then come out of retirement. Yeah. Uh, because, and I think sometimes it's that. You think, well, I'm finished with the game. I'd like to do other things. And then you realize, holy smokes. I miss this a lot more than I thought. I re- I rely on this a lot more than I thought. Uh, a really well-documented one back in the day was Guy Lafleur, who retired. And, I mean, this is back in the in the 70s when you're, you know, there was nothing for players um, afterwards unless they got an ambassadorship or something with the team, and they didn't make that much money. So he went into retirement thinking it was a good time and then realized he missed the game. His whole life was the game, and he was completely unprepared. So he returned. 
Uh, and that's not, it, I think it's becoming a bit less common, uh, in part because it's harder to get to the level you need to be again. Uh, but uh, I, I think that speaks to, to that's a symptom uh, of that. Uh, and I'm hoping uh, that things are going are, are gonna to improve. But if, if you aren't prepared for the end, uh, I don't know how I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you shift. You, I mean, your sense of identity, your sense of self, is so moored in that training, in that being a player, that you have to find yourself. You have to find who you were when you're not playing hockey. Uh, so PK Subban said something uh, when he was traded, uh, and uh, well, actually, just before that, when he made that incredible uh, pledge to the Children's Hospital in Montreal, he said, "You know, I am a hockey player. Um, this is something that I do." But it's not. It doesn't define me entirely. It's not at the core of my identity, right? I'm something beyond that. And I thought some people criticized him for that. But I thought uh, for a young guy to know this, to know who he is beyond hockey, is really important, and it bodes well for him, you know, in, in years to come beyond the game. I've often wondered as well. I'm always very sympathetic towards the wives and girlfriends as well of the hockey mm-hmm. players. And I sometimes think as well, like you've lived as a wife or a girlfriend, you've lived your life a certain way and now your husband retires and now he's just under your feet all day and and they must must be just like oh my god we just please go back to the practice facility and do something you're driving me mad just get out of this house i'm sick of the sight of you i can't i can't be doing this i've not seen you for 20 years and now you just turn up every day like you're driving me crazy that whole family transition is nuts i i remember at the last nba lockout i forget which spouse it was but um uh both she and the player said they were really happy when the lockout ended because yeah. at first there's that honeymoon novelty, right? Of like, yeah. yeah, you know, now we get to spend time together. And then you realize, oh, this is just like the daily grind. And yeah. you've had no place here for, for all these years. And now you're trying to insert yourself in my systems. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the transition. Uh, I, I'd really like to hear about how things are going for Luongo right now. Because he's been, you know, I mean, a, he's been playing forever. He retired. And now he's at home. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at the Strombo in one account, and I'm hoping to see some more updates about how his transition to domestic life is going, because I'm sure it's both frustrating but, but also hilarious. <laughs> yes. So, as you previously mentioned, uh, a young Paul Campbell sat in front of the TV watching people in Friday the 13th masks do <laughs> Who was the Who were the goalies that you were watching back in the day when you were young and thinking, oh, yeah, that's the guy. Like, that's the oh, guy. Yeah. Who, who um, was it? Well, really early on, I was a Canadians fan. I inherited that two, like from at least two generations. I can't verify any further. Yeah. Uh, Steve Penny was the goalie for the Canadians initially. And I remember thinking, okay, this guy's great. He's a Canadians goalie. He looks cool. And then this other guy, Steve Penny got hurt. And then this other kid comes up, and I'm like, oh, I really want to see Steve Penny play. But this Patrick Waugh guy has started, <laughs> play, has started playing at the, you know, at the end of the season, and it looks like he's going to play in the playoffs. Um, and then from there, I was done. I was sold. I was a Patrick Waugh, uh, you know, I was, I was his biggest fan. Uh, he, the things that he was doing were unlike anything I'd, I'd ever seen before. He he was young. He was weirdly aggressive. Um, he just had a certain swagger that was absolutely captivating. And he was great. Uh, he was so great. He played for the team that I loved. Uh, it, it was just a, it was basically a no-brainer uh, for me to sort of be a really early uh, devotee to, to, to Patrick Waugh and that, that whole cult of personality uh, that developed around him. And he was fantastic. So it was, it was just a, a joy to watch him when I was younger. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it, in the NHL is 
it's it's that kind of oh keep your head down keep your you know keep your mouth shut and your ears open and then sometimes when players will come out and say the odd thing now and again that's it you just think oh this is what we need we need this it's definitely missing and i wonder I wonder, what, I wonder if that's going to change or... I mean, players do seem to be opening up now to the media more, don't they? And I know the NHL yeah. is trying to... With these god-awful puck personality videos that they produce. They're just... <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. It's like going to an open mic night or something. It's like, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Can, can someone edit these better or something? Because they're just so cringeworthy. But I hope that side of the game does start to come out more. Because that, to me, that's what drives... You know, that's what will drive fan bases, you know, is, uh, is more personality show. Oh, I, I agree. I, back in the day... There was so little, this is in the 80s, obviously, there was so little media access to players directly. It was all filtered through very careful channels. So I knew Patrick Waugh had an interesting personality because of the way he presented himself on the ice. So it was mostly on ice where you got to see this. And that, that's a rare thing to be able to do, to be able to do your job at the very highest level and still be able to show your character, still be able to show your personality and to show that you're having fun. Uh, Fleury is another goalie who can do that these days. He's a lot less angry than than Patrick Waugh was and a lot less fiery but his passion is so strong and his and his uh, his charm is, is 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 so great and his joy uh is is palpable so i i love guys who can show it on the ice in those in those really positive ways now i think you're going to see a lot more player personality when players have it because they have direct access to fans so pk subban is a great example he is working on his brand he has a great social media presence right uh Luongo, in, in his own way, started showing an aspect of his personality that he couldn't, right, in his uh, work environment. So I love the direct access. The problem is, you, when you ask for more personality, you get whatever the player is going to bring. And so sometimes that's fantastic, and you feel overjoyed, and you just love what you're hearing. And other times you're going to hear things that are kind of despicable or uh, at least objectionable, and then you go back to wishing that you didn't have such direct access to this player's thoughts because then you understand what they are beyond a hockey player, and some of, sometimes that isn't positive. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. Yeah, I guess for every every time there's a good message out there with players doing something cool or saying something funny or wacky, there is the other side of it that we hear, obviously, where things don't go great. Who are you looking forward to then this season, goaltending-wise? Any goalies we should be looking out for that you think are due for a big year or that you think can break out? Or maybe even maybe any goalies that you think, that's it now, they're going to sort of to, you know, downturn, they're on the regression? Yeah. Um, you know, a guy, who for, a guy who for the last few years has been the heir apparent in Nashville is uh, UC Soros. Yes. Uh, little Bear. And I think he – here's the thing. Rene looked like he was on the decline, at least in part from injury. Uh, he had those hip surgeries, then the sort of the, the infection, and, and then you know the recovery from that. And it looked like he was declining quickly. It looked like he was being propped up by a really solid defense and a, and a great team. And it looked like he was going to fade quietly into the night. Saros was positioned exactly to take over. That hasn't happened. And I'm really pleased for Rene that that hasn't happened because he's had a career resurgence. He, his team arguably isn't as strong defensively as it had been, and he's, he's playing great. He's been um, you know, in the conversation of those top goaltenders again, and deservingly so. Uh, so Soros is just waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's been playing well. He's been playing consistently. Technically, he's just so good. Uh, I, I watch him, and I, I am looking for clips sometimes of you know, really great saves, and then I, I'm not finding them with him. So I go back, and I look at a sequence, and he'll stop four shots, you know, within the span of about six seconds. 
and each one of them is just a work of art. And the transitions between each save, uh, each of them is so crisp and so efficient. And he's, he's tiny for an NHL goalie. He's 5'11". Maybe he's really 5'10". Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and it's masterful. Um, he's practicing his craft in a way that makes normal-sized people uh, sort of take heart. Hey, maybe this is physically possible for someone who isn't six foot seven, six foot five to do. Uh, so he's a guy I'm always watching for, and I'm hoping that he's going to get a significant number of starts this year, break the 30, 30 to 35 start barrier, and start to establish himself as at least a tandem partner for Rene. Uh, hopefully this happens without Rene getting injured, uh, which, uh, which I, I, I'm certainly not wishing for because I've really enjoyed following his career too. So that's a guy I think could take a real step forward. Not that he's ever played poorly, really. He's always carried the ball pretty well when he's been given the opportunity. But I'd really like to see him uh, instantiate himself as a potential or, you know, as an actual guy who's capable of starting in, in this league. So is that what you're, so after your work with Athletic, you use um, video analysis. Is that what you're looking for? Is it not, obviously not just saves, but the transitions, how they place themselves, that kind of thing? Yeah, I'm thinking of doing a, a segment somewhere this year. I haven't decided, but uh, it would be a little thing segment, a little saves segment. So everyone wants to break down the big saves, the big goals, right? They, they want to show these highlights, get people excited, and that's great, right? Um, but sometimes these small movements, uh, uh, you know, when the, uh, they point to larger habits that have an, uh, an effect on a goalie's game. So a lot of hockey is luck, obviously. Um, if a puck hits a defender, hits an opposing forward, then switches direction again, and one of the opposing forwards is on the post waiting for the puck, and it hits their stick and goes in. What are you going to do, right? No amount of technical know-how, no amount of desperation uh, is going to stop that puck very often. But if you look at a goalie's work in some, and you notice the way that they're moving, you notice how they um, move from one place to another, you notice how they transition from one kind of save to another, uh, one kind of, uh, like from a post position to the sort of a, uh, how, do they, how do they get up to the point, and so on. If you look at these small things in between the saves, that tells you more about the potential quality of a goalie and sort of their enduring quality, in my opinion, than the actual saves that they make. Performance is important. You have to make the saves. You have to not let in the goals, obviously. But um, all these guys are at a very similar level, and it's by looking at these in-between save things uh, that, uh, that tells you more than anything else. I have to ask you the following question as a Canadians fan. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it relates to another player as well. Obviously, the Carey Price Bobrovsky contract, mm-hmm. and I guess in so I guess as well in some case the Vasilevsky contract that kicks in next year. Mm-hmm. Would you ever say you're a GM, a goalie cut, or an agent comes to you and says, "Okay, my guy had a nine twenty last year, nine twenty five. He wants ten million dollars, nine and a half million dollars. Are you giving that goalie that contract, or are you saying, you know what, it's fine. I can spend that money better elsewhere." So, uh, short answer, no. Uh, I'm gonna. I might lose my my membership in the goalie union for this, but <laughs> for a goaltender to actually, and this happens with all kinds of players, uh, so I don't yes. want to just throw goalies under the bus. Um, usually, people are a contract behind, so you get the contract today that you probably deserved three to five years ago. The but you can't pay people retroactively, right? You can't say, well, here was your, was your performance, and we're going to pay you for that. Except people do, right? So yes. um, they look back and say, this is your performance over these the, these years. This is the kind of money that you likely deserve. And that, that makes a lot of wild assumptions, including that the player is going to produce at that level, which we have no reason to believe, right? Especially when the player's 30. So once someone hits 29, 30, 31, 32, it starts to become really questionable whether you should be handing out contracts of that length. 
Um, for goaltenders, uh, someone I might have considered uh, Vasilevsky not so bad because he's he's literally in his prime. He's he's a relatively young guy. He, he's on the he's on the better side of thirty. That's who you invest in. If someone had offered John Gibson a massive contract uh, a year ago, two years ago, that would have been interesting because that might have been a worthwhile contract. He's very likely to live up to the contract because he's not going to be declining uh, for, for a long time. So you're, you're, more, you're more certain, and as far as this is a game of uncertainty, you're more certain on that bet than you are with older guys. Carey Price got paid for his previous performance. He got paid for that season, especially yeah, when yeah. he won all the awards. Uh, and so I believe the players do deserve to be rewarded for their performances, but rewarding someone for eight years who is on the wrong side of 30 uh, – do you think that everyone's going to be like a like a Hasek who's going to be able to play till 40, right? You can't give a guy that massive a, 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 a cap hit. You can't take that massive a cap hit that far into the future. That even happened to Luongo when he was in Vancouver. He had a big contract, certainly wasn't um, a, a giant or an albatross, and he was still a very good goaltender. But Vancouver decided uh, when they had Schneider there, well, maybe Luongo is expendable. Maybe we can trade him. And then to trade him was, was a, a Herculean task because he had a relatively large contract. He, st he was still very good. He, he still um, you know, was, was worth the money that he was getting. But uh, teams were reluctant to take a hit that big. And it makes sense, right? Is the guy going to get injured? Is the guy going to need to retire? Are we going to have to absorb this cap at ad infinitum? I, I think he retired this year, and Vancouver is taking a cap hit for that. So even though maybe he was worth the money, uh, the fact that other GMs aren't willing to take the same risk you did and the fact that you're going to be on the hook for that cap, cap recapture at the end is a major disincentive for me to give a goaltender that age that kind of a lengthy contract. Yeah, no, I agree. You make a good point, actually, about goalies being paid as a position more for their previous work than other players are. Mm -hmm. I've, never, I've never thought of it that way. That's a fantastic point. Um, one other thing before we wrap up, I wanted to mention Robin Lehner. Mm -hmm. Obviously, obviously, bounced back last year. Great story. Goes to the Hawks. How do you think he's going to do in that in that new system? Do you think we're going to see the same success, or was he more a what's the word? Uh, more success because of obviously the Barry Trot system. So I think I think you're going to see him have a good season in Chicago. I don't think you're going to see him replicate his success in New York. Now Barlamov. I'm confident that he's going to have a really good season this year. People are going to people are going to say. Wow, he's really turned it around. That's amazing. <laughs> no, uh, look at Yaro Halak, who's one of my favorite goalies. Uh, if if you want to talk about a guy who's been consistently underrated in his career, that's a guy. Yeah, he does well wherever he goes. I was looking at he had one, I think a sixteen or seventeen game stretch in St. Louis where he had a really bad uh, save percentage. Otherwise, he's been consistently you know hovering from the nine fifteen to nine twenty area. Uh, he had an abysmal season with New York the year before. Uh, just awful. Uh, I think he was in the eights uh, in, in his save percentage. But it didn't tell the whole story because uh, systemically the team was bleeding very high danger chances. Yeah. So take a step forward. Oh, look. Um, he ends up uh, – oh, sorry. Um, this is in uh, – th then he goes to uh, uh, Boston. Um, has an absolutely fantastic season behind that team. Grice had an abysmal season with Halak in New York. Uh, and then comes out and ends up backing up uh, a laner, or and they, they sort of tandem, and they both have almost identical numbers, right? Well, wait, you have the same guy in the same system um, playing, you know, 30 save percentage points, 25 save percentage points higher. 
the guy who was his partner goes to another organization and has a lights-out phenomenal season in his tandem role as well. Wait a minute, right? Is this the goaltender just suddenly, you know, realizing himself two goalies? Or is this the system? And if you put a good goaltender in a good system, they're going to play well. They're going to play a lot better, if, especially if you're a fit for that system. So I think that's what we're seeing. And I think that you're going to have to see a regression from later this year uh, because Chicago does not bring what New York brought last year. So uh, I'd be a lot higher on Varlamov this year if you're, you know, if you're uh, looking to you know, maximize your uh, like fantasy results, for instance. Um, I think I think Varlamov is going to be uh, someone to watch, someone who's going to really exceed expectations, someone who people are probably sleeping on. And I think Lehner, I think he's going to do fine, but I don't think he's going to have that kind of success. Actually, I lied. One last more little question. Sure, sure. Because you're a goalie, any superstitions? Ah, love it. Uh, I did. So I had, a, I had a range of superstitions that involved the way that I would get on the ice and skate around, uh, the way that I would end the warm-up, right? Um, I would go, you know, I'd tap my post a certain way. I would go into the corner always the same way. I would turn the same way. Uh, when I was watching hockey games, I would sit on the couch in a certain position, especially if it was the playoffs. I would have my equipment around me and have my water and I would have, you know, um, that I would wear the same uh, shorts. And I would, I, I mean, I had a whole realm of superstitions around sport, <laughs> around hockey and around goaltending. Uh, however, uh, as, I've, as I've aged and become a, a, a dire, cold-hearted cynic, uh, you know, enthralled to materialism and science, I've decided that I probably – I'm actually harming myself in some way because, <laughs> and I think I think this happens to this day with even pro goalies. They talk about their superstitions, and if you get really hung up on a routine, once the, if the one day you can't do the thing you need to do or you screw it up, you you've set yourself, uh, you, you've given yourself an, a self-inflicted wound that was entirely unnecessary. Uh, whether or not this routine has helped you in the past is debatable, but the minute that it can't happen if you're really hung up on it forget it you, you've just shot yourself in the foot and uh so so no i'm I, i'm trying to wean myself away from all superstition uh, <laughs> even as a even as a fan or as someone who has a rooting interest in any game i'm like no i'm 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 gonna intentionally break the pattern that i established last time so that i don't think that that's gonna lead to something this time uh, something positive so no I'm, I'm yeah i'm getting getting away from superstition I did the same. You mentioned an uh, item of clothing. I did the same with a T-shirt. Is that if I was watching a soccer game, um, if my team was playing, I would wear a certain T-shirt. And then if they <laughs> lost, I would still wear the T-shirt the next time. And my wife would say, why are you wearing that T-shirt? Well, it's my lucky T-shirt. <laughs> they lost last week. And I went, yeah, but that was different. Like, I was making excuses for a piece of clothing. <laughs> like, this, is, this T-shirt's got a hold over me. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> you, I'm making excuses for the T-shirt. That's great. You name the shirt. You, like, you console it after your wife was critical. <laughs> there, there, T-shirt. There, it's okay. It's, she didn't mean we'll it. We'll next time. She... <laughs> <laughs> oh, fabulous. Okay, as we, as we wrap up then, anything you want to promote, Paul? Please put yourself out there. Oh, sure. Listen, um, I, I, I probably work most closely with InGoal Media. Uh, I've been there the longest of all the established places that I've been working. So um, if you go online, you can go to InGoalMedia.com, and um, I'll have various articles there throughout the year. Uh, we have a lot of fantastic new things on the horizon there as well. So look for some um, really interesting changes there that are, are going to uh, be beyond anything we've, we've done in the past. So th that's something I'm really excited about. The podcast there as well, uh, the InGoal uh, In Radio podcast is, is a great listen. If you're into goaltending at all, 
it's absolutely indispensable. They talk about uh, quality. They talk about the NHL, obviously, but they talk about all aspects of positioning, nutrition. They have guests on who are just absolute gurus uh, in these areas and uh, equipment as well. They have a, a weekly equipment segment if you're looking to get geared up. Finally, uh, I guess not finally, but um, uh, also you can look for me at The Athletic. I'm writing primarily for um, the Montreal site this year. So if you're interested in uh, in the Habs, then The Athletic is a great place to find me. And uh, with any luck, we'll have some more deep statistical stuff uh, and, and analytical stuff ha- happening at Sportsnet as well. So uh, that's where I'll be this year. And on Twitter, obviously, uh, um, constantly at uh, way to go Paul. So that's my Twitter handle, way to go Paul. Uh, after a very famous vine. Fabulous. There we go. Cheers, Paul. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much. It was great talking. Okay. Thank you to Paul. Uh, a good chat as always. We're going to have some more interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're recording another one on Sunday, which should be very interesting. But, Will, let's get on to the news, shall we? Let's. Let's. I do want to have a little quick talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. Moves it in on a cycle for Eric Holla. Dezingle in back of the goal. Ryan Dezingle holding on to it. Centering pass. They score! That's hockey, baby! What a feed from Ryan Dezingle to Martin Natchez. With a strike, and the Hurricanes break the ice. Knocked down by Kopitar. Wedged along by Ajo beautifully. It's a foot race. Walker gets there ahead of Ajo. It's turned over, though. Terabinen scores! Hey, hey, what do you say? There was a story by Emily Kaplan on Rod Brindamore, which was really, really good, really in-depth, made me chuckle in a few places. Great writing. I think great writing is something that's kind of, it's a bit of a lost art now, actually, I think, in media, because everything's obviously, you know, oh, go to video, go to, just put it on Twitter, all this kind of thing. But Emily Kaplan did a really good story on him and his kind of mentality around what he brings to the Hurricanes. I think that the most interesting thing was, was that you don't always have to coach a certain way to get the best out of players. Now, if you've got a coach who, say, I don't know, like Joel Quenville or something, players will listen to what he says because they look at him and think, oh, well, this guy's won this guy's won it all multiple times. So he knows what he's talking about. I should listen to him. You can also bring in a coach who's been with the team for years, knows the systems, knows all the ins and outs, knows all the players, and the players will play for him. Then there's a coach like Brindamore, who is literally a guy who will say, okay, go and do this thing like I'm going to show you how to do it right now. Because the players were saying, he gets us in at you know whatever time to do these these tests on these stationary bikes and things like that, and he's already done it. So he's already been there since like six a.m., absolutely crushing these stationary bike drills, and he's like stood there just sweating profusely, going, "All right, boys, now it's time for you to do it." And they're all like, "Well, I guess if he's done it, I'd better do it." And some of the players said that only half the team managed to pass the tests that he'd done already. I think the. The interesting thing about this, uh, yeah, not an experiment, but like it could prove to be a really good example of how to, to hire your coaches moving forward. It's like the, the Hurricanes yeah. are a predominantly young and skilled team, and it's effectively like having that sort of veteran presence in the room. You know, a true pro, as they say, you know, somebody who knows how to do things right, can set a good example for the young players, but he doesn't take up a roster spot. So you're not, you get all the positives of That's having like that kind of player on your team but you're not forced to play him and then have him be a negative you know what I mean yeah yeah like the Hurricanes are skilled enough that like not saying that Brendan Moore isn't tactically sort of savvy but he doesn't necessarily need to be as tactically savvy because they're very high skilled and what he's doing is putting like you know instilling that discipline into them and showing them you know how to play the right way and all that nonsense 
and and yeah, not being a drag on the ice. So it's it's hard to say whether that's what is actually happening behind closed doors and and stuff like that. But I, I think it'd be an interesting way to look at head coaching moving forward for I don't know maybe a team like the Leafs or something, or even like the Coyotes or someone like that. Yeah, that's true. It'd have to be a team who had a forward-thinking GM, mm. not an old school. You know, it ain't gonna fucking work with Lou, is it? <laughs> I want to see Lou on a. Do you know what I mean? Brindamore versus Lou on a stationary bike test. But that said, like exactly, I think it is a relatively perfect storm with Brindamore because yeah, he was such an athletic freak as a um, yeah as a player sort of thing. You know, I, I'm sure there are plenty of players who have been who retired the same year he did who aren't anywhere near as good shape as he is. Let alone you know your sort of oh, older gotcha. hockey minds. Such as your your loot, your hitches, your uh, I don't know, Bruce Boudreau. Yeah, Bruce Boudreau. There you go. I was going to say Daryl Sutter, but I reckon Daryl Sutter's pretty uh, pretty tonk from like dragging around combine harvesters on a farm and stuff. <laughs> they said as well that he um, he basically walks around the entire uh, sort of office area with a weight of a thirty pound vest on all the time. Of course he does. Like he just constantly. Constantly working out. Even when he's sitting down, he's working out because he's got like recently it's like thirty pound vest on. Mate, you know who'd be a good hire to test this theory out? Jeremy Yaga. <laughs> that picture of him today. Oh my god! I, I haven't even seen it. What? You don't see it? He's absolutely like he's at. Find this picture now. <laughs> I, want, I want your live reaction. Is it Yaga on Broadway? No, that's from two days ago. How? Uh... Yaga on something. <laughs> I think he's been on the. I think he's on the Bergevin diet. If you know what I'm saying. Oh, is he? Is he? Is he tonk? Hold on. Let me. Uh, let me get my. Yeah. My twits up. Oh, here we go. Oh my god. <laughs> there you go. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Dude's forty-seven. He looks like that. He's still got a young man's face as well. Actually. He's probably... He looks. He looks like. He looks like in that. He looks like he's a dad in a film. And the dad's son has been kidnapped, and he's a one-man wrecking crew on his way to get him back. Oh well, or like, something like that. Like taken, like taken kind across of, yeah. the Rambo. <laughs> I was gonna say it's like Yaramir Wick or something. <laughs> Yaramir Wick. <laughs> <sighs> You're getting on my Wick now. Um, that's yeah, that's mental. But yeah, he would, I, if anyone's gonna be able to produce that apart from Rob the Bard, it's um, it's got to be Yaga in it. Yeah, and like you say, that's that's the thing. Like, I I had this as crazy as it sounds years ago, years ago when I was when I was playing footy, we had sort of different managers and stuff. And if some of them were, shall we say, on the portly side, or a bit larger than your average gentleman, and they tell you to like run around the pitch five times, you'd always be like, "Why don't you fucking run around the pitch, you fat bastard?" Because <laughs> you just feel you just be annoyed. So you just go to that. So if you've got a coach who's coming in saying, right, that's it, come on, let's go do some skating drills, you're just thinking, all right, Toby, why don't you do it? Why don't you show me what to do? I bet you can't do it, can you? Whereas Brindamore's just like, he's just crushing all these people. He's like and he does it himself all right. Yeah, exactly. He comes in and says, all right, boys, we're going to go and uh, lift cars and punch rocks with our hands. You know, he's already been doing it for two hours already, just to prove a point. <laughs> and then <laughs> like, heavier cars the players and like, well, rocks, do he's going to make you punch. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So have you seen him do, Thanks, doing fabulous. that face-off drill? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. bam, 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 bam. You could just like, <laughs> you can't even hear it, but you know he's going, again, again, again. Absolute <laughs> drill sergeant. But yeah, that's the thing. See, there's even when it comes to coaching, there's more more than one way to skin a cat. And I think in this comparison, Brindamore skinning the cat by ripping its pieces with his bare hands. It's just eating it. <laughs> and you have, 
And you have to give them credit. I think you have to give the Hurricanes credit because, as we said last week, joking aside, you made the point that, yeah, they'll be okay. Maybe they won't be that great. But And here's the thing. Teams are now looking at the Hurricanes thinking, okay, this is a legit team now. I mean, last year, I don't know if maybe... I don't know if maybe through the whole season, teams were looking at them thinking, all right, everyone else has been run over by these guys, but we know what they're really about. They're just a bunch of fucking have-a-go Larrys messing about, storm surge, all that bullshit. We'll play real hockey and we'll beat them. And the same thing's happening this season. Teams are like really going in now against Hurricanes and trying to give it their all. And they just can't, you know, they can't keep up with them at the moment. It's the thing where they're they're still on the upswing. Like, (laughs) yeah, like, there's, yeah, they're still upswinging. Andrei Svechnikov is still he's on his second year, and he seems to have uh, worked it out, as they say, Dan. What an <laughs> yeah. absolute tear. Still like Tavo Teravainen, still young. This new kid, uh, uh, Martin Netskas. Netskas? It's like bloody... Uh, I got it as, yeah, I got it as Nechas. It's like Thomas oh. Rosicki all over again, isn't it? Yeah, it is, you're right. He seems to be all right, doesn't he? Uh, he's still only like 20, 21. Even, even like the new players they've brought in, like Eric Holler and Ryan Zingle, like, it's just, it's a piss take. It really is. I tell you, Tom Dundon. We had, we had a little bit of a joke, didn't we? But he seems to be doing the right things. I think it's... And play, and, and Jake, like, like, like a player like Jake Gardner, taking a yeah. discount tweet just to go there. It's now like, like, okay, well, maybe players actually want to go and play there now. It's not just seen as kind of a, oh, yeah, I'll go to Carolina, chill for a few years, make a few, you know, make a few million. That'll do. Players are thinking, actually, no, this is a this is decent. We could actually, do, I could do something here with this team. It's uh, it's been said ad infinitum, but it's it's Eric Tolsky. Eric Tolsky is is the man who's who's absolutely yeah, running yeah. the show over there. I forget what his new title is. Director of, he's basically the analytics guru, but like he seems yeah. to have you know the trust of of Dundon, and potentially the respect of the rest of the you know enough, at least enough trust or enough respect, whatever combination it is to be able to have a serious input. So it, the the genius thing that Tom Dundon's doing is listening to the people he hires rather than like just hiring a GM and saying, right, you do whatever, do your thing. And then giving that GM sort of absolute power, it's such a takes a village approach sort of thing, you know, committee approach to building this team. And especially with the, the valued input of Tolski that's leading to their continued success. Tulski's probably just a $5 Patreon member on Micah's website. He's probably just... <laughs> he's just doing what we say. Look at the data sheets. No, he's no good. No, he's no good. No. Wow, plus 10%. Fuck yeah, me. sign this guy. He's really good. <laughs> and that's as simple as that. Why, it's not difficult. You'll know that if they trade for Luke Glendening midway through the season. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the litmus test on that one. Uh, so, can you tell us why you've traded a first for Luke Glendening? Uh, yeah, none of your goddamn business. I'm keeping it secret. Don't, don't fucking Interesting. ask. Okay. Those are some funny red and blue colours. What's going on up there? Nothing. <laughs> like in he the, slams his laptop shut. In the photo of the press conference, you can just see the reflection of the heat maps in his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see as well that Brindamore got a writing vote for Raleigh City Council? No. <laughs> yes. Now, now, it's not as impressive as you think because... I mean, I can't... I read, <laughs> I read through... You know, but then, so, but you know, sometimes you think, oh, a sports star got writing votes to be a councilman. You think, wow. But there was obviously three choices, and they added a fourth because they love this coach so much. I read through some. I read through those writing votes. Here are some of the other names that got writing votes. I don't care. This is bullshit. Donald Duck. No more bike lanes. Jesus Christ. And huge erection. Now, uh, Brindamore got one writing vote. Hamilton the pig 
got three writing votes. <laughs> so makes sense. Makes sense. It's, it's always a problem. It's not quite impressive. Yeah, and the worst thing is as well. We all know after the sweep, Hamilton the pig is now being served up at the fucking as the meat counter. So he couldn't even do it if he'd got enough writing votes to win. <laughs> Dan, you sounded uh, surprised at this writing vote, even though you're from the country where a man named uh, Buckethead was uh, standing for an MP. <laughs> I'm not surprised by it, but I always thought a writing vote was only like two or three extras. But this was four p- pages of A4, <laughs> two columns with writing votes. So I was thinking, wow, there's like loads. I never, I never realized it like would go that far. They, uh, that was why I was surprised. They like taking a piss in rally. What can I say? I've heard it's a fun town, Will, with a, with a fun hockey team. So uh, that remains to be seen. <laughs> That's true. As good as the, the Hurricanes are, the Devils are bad. Ahead for Simmons. Panthers hold the zone. Sevier sees it deflect back. Weger with a shot. They score! And got by Schneider! The tight of the shot from Weger. You know, let's see how that puck banked off the inside of the skate from a devil and sometimes you just don't get a break either back for yandel now two defensemen employed on the power play for florida the shot by matheson saved they score on a rebound it was dadinov who was knocked down in the slot dadinov gets inside position again that's a heck of an effort by him as he's going to the ice and the devils at one point leading 4-1 here this afternoon versus florida Allow the final five goals of the afternoon and the Panthers in come from behind fashion win at 6-4. And <laughs> yes, they're, they're really bad, really bad. And I watched because the beautiful, the beautiful North American holidays gave us some afternoon hockey oh. on this side of the Atlantic, which was amazing. I watched three games. It was so good. Well, I'll be honest, Dan. I, and obviously, I, I wish I hadn't, but uh, I was gonna say. I'm, I'm glad everyone else had fun. <laughs> really, really, <laughs> truly glad. <laughs> I watched that Panthers game and I was annoyed at myself during this. I nearly scratched myself during this game because <laughs> the Devils were up. The de- I know, I know. All right. Yeah, I get it. The Devils were up 4-1. And I, I said, I said to my wife, I swear to God on a stack of Bibles, I said, this team in red is going to lose this game. And she said, what score is it? I said, they're winning 4-1. She has no idea about hockey, doesn't care. So what do you mean they're going to lose? They're winning 4-1. I said, I'm telling you, they're losing this game. And I should have put a bet on it. I should have put a bet on it. I should have, I should have put 200 quid on it or something because the odds would have been amazing. But God damn it, even at 4-1, the Devils look ropey. And I know I know it's the early season. We're doing second week hot takes, blah, 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 whatever. But they looked so slow. Maybe it's early season. Maybe they're getting up to speed. But man, the players did not look there. They were all over the place as well. I mean, defensively, I don't know what... I don't know what they're meant to be playing as their scheme. Whatever it was, it wasn't what I saw because there was times when there was three Panthers players and one Devils D-man and times where, for some reason, two sort of Devils D-men were going to the corner at the same time to retrieve the puck instead of one just leaving it to the other one. It was it was so bad. It was so bad. And when things are against you, they are really against you. Have you seen Have you seen the, uh, the Panthers' fifth goal, the go-ahead goal? No, no, I haven't. You know when they say that bad teams just get bad luck and for some reason good teams seem to get good luck? Sammy Vatten has got Nolachari in front of him. Obviously he's trying to scream, Corey Schneider. As a shot comes in from the D-man, Vatanen shoves Achari. As Achari stumbles forward, the puck hits his stick, gets redirected and goes in. I was just like, oh my God. It was absolutely brutal. It was 
brutal. Does he get an assist for that? And you know that... <laughs> I don't know what Vannon. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he did, I don't know. But if it wasn't for bad luck, the, the Devils would have no luck at all at the moment. The, the thing with the Devils at the moment, like, it's, it's almost like they're playing like a team who came bottom of their division last year and ended up with the first overall pick. Almost <laughs> like that. Almost like they were a bad team last year and they're carrying on as was. I don't know. I don't know. Here's the thing though, they were they were they were bad last year. But you would think, okay, Heesha's, you know, hopefully gonna pr- improve again. Now they get Jack Hughes, Taylor Hall's back, they get Suban, they get Gusev, they get Wayne Simmons to help on the power plays and you know, with a bit of net front and everything. Okay, this this might now look a little bit better. Dude, they've looked so bad. So bad. The numbers of the numbers aren't great, obviously. But they're not terrible for a team that hasn't even won a game yet. They're only 5th in Team Corsi, 10th in Shots for, 17th Shots Against, and 13th in Creating High Danger Chances. So they're not being, like, run over. Yeah, you can you can be a bad team but play relatively well. But, like, you know, not to bring it back to the Stars again, but the way the Stars are playing this season, like... And you think similar to the Devils and like the Avalanche a few years ago when they were historically bad. You can just see when a team has nothing going for them. Can't even string yeah. a pass together, can't break the zone, whatever it might be. Yeah, there's there's teams that lose a lot of games and then there's bad teams. So with that today, the Devils have put assistant GM Tom Fitzgerald behind the bench. Oh. Which is a interesting move. And has been done before by teams. It's I guess it's a... Right, you get down there and see what's going on and then report back to the big cheeses that's the thing this early in the season like i'd be surprised if it's gerald lasts the year they'll probably keep looking around for somebody that's definitely got to be a right what's actually going on down there what what do we what can we do what can what do we need who's who's going to be able to help us sort of thing and then of course the the biggest story in all of this of course is it's not lost in all of this but taylor hall <laughs> is <laughs> Needs a new contract, and he's been very he's been very outspoken before about his admiration for what John Tavares did, as all players should be. By the way, as all players should be, I we we're on record as saying that we love what John Tavares did. We wished every superstar UFA was going to do that. Go and court some teams, create some buzz. Except for the ones that are on our teams. Yeah, of course they have to sign a new contract for a very ha- you know a very team friendly contract. All their pieces of shit. But if it's another team. Then that's that's fine and that's exciting. Please, please. I mean, not to jump to conclusions, but that's got to be a death knell for uh, for Hall's time in New Jersey, surely. I oh, know he's he's played a playoff game now, hasn't he? Because he was there when they yes. made it the other year, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, when he dragged them in, when he it was between yeah. him and McKinnon, wasn't it? About you know the heart conversation and all that kind of thing, because they both kind of dragged their teams in. Yeah. That's that's it. But still, to to be out of the playoffs as frequent as he has been for such a talented player, if he, I'd be incredibly surprised if he resigns with them. Incredibly surprised. It's going to take a massive shift. I, I just how long has he been with them now? Uh, Three years. Yes, yeah, is their third season, I think. I think so. Yeah, I've got it here. And uh, he's no fourth season. Car. Fourth, it's and it's still it's not even you know what it's not even that he's with the devils it's not even the fact it's the devils i mean obviously he's there but this guy just wants to play playoff hockey <laughs> you just think how is a guy this good how is a player this good how many how many playoff games has he played in his career uh, five it's got is it really five? five six points in five games jesus h corbett 
And uh, Taylor Hall's played five playoff how games. How many? How many AHL games? How many regular season games has he played? Oh, God knows. <clears throat> Quite a few. Any any guesses? Ah, oh, any guesses? Oh, mind you, missed the season. Had some injuries. I think it's twenty-seven, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be. Two thousand ten draft. Five hundred. Uh, as of this moment, he's played five hundred and sixty-eight. <laughs> NHL regular season guess, games. Then. Good guess, good guess. And uh, yeah, and five playoff games. Not even one percent. Not even one percent. That's um. <laughs> God, that's, and he's so offensive. He's so good, and, mate. He's got a jump ship. He absolutely has to jump ship. Here's an interesting topic. Then here's a thing. Here's a thing. You're a player of that caliber. Yes, I am. <laughs> good, in- good interjection. Pretend, Will, that you're a player of that calibre. And, I mean, in theory, in theory, he should go somewhere and make 10 million. Yeah. Right? Oh, in theory, around right. that. Sergei Bobrovsky's making 10 million, so he should probably make 20 million. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fair point. In theory, he could go somewhere and make 10 million. Does he do that? Or does he go to a team that thinks, all right, these guys can win a cup? And he just takes, say, five or six. Knowing... At this point in his career, I mean, he doesn't need the money, does he? How much has he made over his career? It's not like he's made like it's not like he's made a million quid. He's made tens of millions. He has made a lot of money. At least he's, he, this is the end of a $36 million contract, I think. Right. So he'll probably want term, which is fine, because he should get term because he's at that age. He will get term because he's that age. But if I was him, I'd be thinking, I just want to play playoff games. I'll go here for six million or something. Do you reckon he, even seven? He, Can you imagine getting Taylor Hall for seven million? You reckon he'd sign like an Evander Kane contract? That's like seven million for eight years or whatever, or seven years or whatever it was. Something like that. If I was him, I'd wait to the end of the season, see which teams performed again, see which teams had around about five, six million in cap space, and just say, right, give me the rest of your cap space, and I'll come play with you. I want to win. Knowing, I, I don't need the money. Knowing nothing about Taylor Hall personally, as I do, I get the feeling that if anyone is going to do this sort of thing, it, it'd probably be him. Yeah, I agree. I don't know why, I but agree. it's just that. I don't know. He's been so outspoken about his desire just to play playoff hockey ever since he left Edmonton. I know. Even while he was in Edmonton, he was pretty outspoken about it. But yeah, I don't know. And say a team who's got like, I don't know, full alls, the Senators have got a ton of cap space, right? Yeah. Taylor Hall's not going to be yeah oh, okay mate. great I'll get 11 million dollars I'll get 11 million dollars a nah, year fantastic the Senators are going to throw 14 no actually no if it wasn't the Senators I'd say they're going to throw 14 million dollars at him but you, <laughs> yeah. Eugene hasn't got 40 million dollars for one season let alone for like seven years no but you know what I mean a team a team that bad or I was trying to think of a team that was that bad and had cap space maybe like the Kings Columbus have cap space as well like I don't think they do but oh yeah or even Columbus yeah you got to look at the players around you and stuff. You can't, you can't keep dragging teams into the playoffs. You, you know, at some point you're like, all right, can someone else help me here? Can someone else be a guy I can play with that's going to help me, not just me help them? Let me just have a look at their cap space. But I think I've got a decent team that he might actually work with next year. Let me just check. Oh no, that they've got a lot of UFAs, but they're pretty tight to the cap. Maybe the Oilers. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I uh, knew you were going to say I'm glad that. I teed it up, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. Like, I don't know. Who's his boyhood? Who's his boyhood team? He's a Toronto boy, isn't 
He's got to be, Annie. Everyone's fucking. Everyone fucking is. Well, like, never mind. That's that one out then. It's because everyone's from Toronto. To be fair, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's going to say yeah. It's not as far where he was born. Yeah, you were. You were born in Cheshire, so you support Celtic. Like, you know, it's it's not your fault. <laughs> All right, shut up. You got me there. Can't argue with that one. <laughs> uh, oh no, he's a cowboy boy. My Ooh. my miss my mistake, Mister Hall. Wait, why did he end up playing in the OHL then? That's, that's a that's a story for another day. That's very interesting, though. Very, very interesting. I oh, must have moved to Ontario when he was a wee boy. Oh, they moved to. Uh... Hey, do you know which team? Do you know which team's got some good players and a fair amount of cap space ready for next year? <laughs> Is it the Edmonton Oilers? Is it? No, it's the, it's the, Colorado, it... the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, one. mate, don't imagine. Oh, I don't want it to happen. Of course, because, I yeah. really want it to happen. Forget Rantanen, right? But McKinnon, Landeskog, Kadri, Donskoy. Combined, they make less than nineteen million. Like, <laughs> you know, so they've got seven. That's possible. They've got seven today. Oh, even if they don't like, if they don't resign Andrei Burakovsky, who's making three point two five, they drop him and and sign Hall for even for like ten. Oh, they have got some players to resign though, like Zadorov. They're back up. Here's the thing, all right. Here's the thing, all right. You've got Ranton and McKinnon, Landeskog, Nadri, Donskoy. You put Taylor Hall on that list, who says, yeah, fine, fuck it, I'll take six. I just want to win. Dude, you could fill out that rest of that roster easily. This, this is it. With decent players. If you drop Burakovsky 3, 3.25, Colin Wilson is making 2.6, and Matt Nieto is making 1.975, if you just drop those three and add in Hall, yeah, you've made up, let me do my maths here, you've made 7 mil on top of the 7 mil you've already got. Yeah, oh, mate. Give Zadarov four mil. Give Hall ten mil, and uh, and you're laughing. Don't even give Hall ten mil. This is we're saying like, what if he says, "Oh, fine, I'll just take six and a half, seven. I'm, yeah, I but, just want to win. No, but I'm I'm making the point that even if he doesn't want to do that, oh, if, okay, yeah, the, so you the Avalanche so you could yeah. still do it. Like, yeah, oh, mate, that's a shout, Dan. That is a shout. We called it. <laughs> we called it on October the sixteenth. I feel like we're going to remember this. He might be right. You heard it first, folks. Taylor Hall to the Colorado Avalanche. Break for six point seven five. <laughs> Ten months before it's even been thought of. <laughs> oh dearie me, dearie me. Well, let's talk about something. Oh, fucking hell. So the Blues got to visit the White House. Oh, that was lovely. Jesus. Do you know what's insane? Do you know what's insane? Yes. The amount of fucking times. To, yeah, all of this. The amount of times that we see teammates stick up for each other. In all kinds of situations, and I'm going to make one example because it's fresh in my mind, but the Austin Matthews thing happened and some of his teammates came out and said, oh yeah, well, you know, we're going to get him the help he needs and support him because apparently he's the fucking victim. But teammates like I know Jim for a Houston, fact, yeah. because I know for a fact, every other team will do it. So I'm not trying to single out the Leafs. I know every other team would do that if one of their players did the same thing because that's what they always do. It's insane that these players will stick by each other through those kinds of things, but it seems like three or four players don't want to go to the White House. They won't just say, "Yeah, I'm not going, guys." To be honest, because I don't, I don't like you know what Trump stands for and that kind of thing. Because apparently, then the teammates would shun them or something. Because as was mentioned in the various articles reported about it, some of the Blues players probably didn't want to go, but God forbid they speak up, because as we said before, it's a fucking old boys club. And you gotta support the team for the good of the team and all that kind of shit. Part part of the problem well the the main problem with like expecting 
hockey teams to boycott going to see Donald Trump in the White House. Like, yeah, it, it can still be disappointing, but like, it should never be surprising because every single member of that organisation is part of the 1% that he panned us for. They're all, what, who... Who's the cheapest player on the Blues this season? Like someone earning eight hundred grand a year, eight hundred grand a year. Yeah, probably about that. They're, they yeah. they are the people that would vote him in. So no, I don't I don't necessarily think there should ever be any surprise that a hockey player is a Trump fan, because because they're mega rich and the only people that really like what he does are the mega rich and the mega racist, and that's that's actually quite a um a large crossover in the Venn diagram of hockey players. Here's what I don't get right. All we talk about is how hockey <laughs> is, you know, the distant fourth sport in, in North America. It's it's miles behind. And it, the points now is that reports are that soccer's probably going to catch up at some point, especially with, you know, the MLS and America and all that kind of thing. Mm. So here's what I don't get. Would anybody actually give a shit in the outside world if the Stanley Cup team didn't go to the White House? I think I think they. I would. just can't imagine anybody in the outside world would give two shits, but to to, to the extent of being like, well, that's it now. That's, I'm not talking hockey anymore. I'm not covering it anymore. A team didn't go to the White House. Are you crazy? I just don't think it would happen. I don't think it would happen. I'd I'd, I'd imagine a lot of the people that would have probably, uh, you know, of the persuasion that don't watch hockey anyway, because they're too <laughs> that's the thing. too busy like, drinking warm beer except- in the sun and. Shooting rats with their air rifles or whatever. <laughs> and they've probably been told to go by higher-ups in certain places. I'm not saying the Blues organisation, but outside influences. Companies who maybe support them or had uh, have advertising or stuff like that. That's why they have to go. The, the... But I just, I just don't think anybody, nobody in the outside world would give a shit. Because it's October, the season's already started. Barely, people barely even remember last season at this point. Every every at the start of every season, nobody really cares about the last season. The fans of the team that won the cup do, but that's about it. Every other team is like, yeah, let's go. Barely remember. I just don't who think anyone would care. Yeah, I, I don't think. Shut up. <laughs> I don't think anyone remember who would care. I, I don't think anybody would even care if they if they went or not. I think I think some people. I think it would be a good statement and it would make it out. But you're right. It's not going to be on the levels of like you know Kaepernick or something like that. The the thing that the repeated visits to Trump's White House highlight you know going about three teams now it's hockey is a facade like the whole hockey culture is just a joke it's you know it's masquerading as like you know blue collar work ethic and stuff like that you know work hard you know we're we're you know get your lunch pail you know we're sort of game of the people the people's game or whatever you know it's all western canadian boys who work hard on the farm and then you end up get into the show and all that just work hard and you'll be able to be successful but it's really a white collar population pretending to be blue collar sort of thing whereas none of the actual sort of working class ethics and and, and ideals are represented in their own personal politics or team politics and it's just it's a joke it's it's all just a joke mate that's such a good point that's always the argument isn't it in regards to hockey viewership and becoming a player and that kind of thing is it's just so expensive to even get started mm-hmm. and all the players who make it 90 times out of 100 are players who have been well financed and could have all the best equipment bought for them and all that kind of thing it's a white it's a white collar sport masquerading as a blue collar sport and that's the thing and it's not obviously it's a problem that hockey isn't that accessible but you don't see dressage and like 
polo players. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I know it, it sounds like a joke, but you don't see, no, you, it's an you don't see dressage riders out there like, oh, you know, just gotta, just gotta tough it out out there. You know, you gotta work really hard. Like, you know, I've been, I've been working hard ever since I was out with my daddy, and you know, blah 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 blah. blah. It's like rugby players. R- rugby players are tough, but they don't hide the fact that they're all fucking toffs. You know what I mean? It's like, you got, you've got it exactly right. I love that quote, mate. It's, it's a white collar sport pretending to be blue collar sport. It's class appropriation, is what it is. Politics in sports, just the mouth breathers of the world, linking sports to being supremely patriotic, which is just, it's insane. It's insane. What the fuck does hitting a rubber disc into a net have to do with defending human rights? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or like the sanctity of your country or I just, I've never got it. I've never got it. They have the fucking national anthems every... Can you imagine being a player and hearing that fucking national anthem a hundred times a season? Jesus Christ. It's been fucking driving you mad. So, so they're playing it at um, Madison Square Gardens. Star Spangled Banger. Banner. <laughs> it's not a banger. Um, <laughs> if you could have been rebranded. And they've got a starting six of, uh, of a Russian at left wing, a Swedish centre, a Russian at right yeah. wing... Uh, an American exactly. uh, on D, uh, and uh, I think Libor hijacks Czech maybe, and then uh, f- <laughs> their franchise player, a Sweden goalie. It's just ridiculous. But then, you know, the military pay all the sports leagues to promote that shit, don't they? They make a fortune off them, that's why they do it. Yeah, yeah, this, this is it. It's, it's really good that we uh, we promote people who uh, join organisations with the sole intent of killing people from other countries. That's a really, really good thing to promote, isn't it? And associate with the sport. I know. Which is meant to just be the whole point of sport is to forget, you know, forget your worries and your strife. Just get down to the game, and we're all equal. We're all we're all pals. You know, we're all just Rangers fans or whatever we might be. Yeah. Hey, look, we're all wearing the same colour jersey. We must all yeah, like each fine. other. Let's all you be know, friends. Yeah, Yay, that's, that's all fine. it is. That's what well, it should be. Un- unless you're a woman or Muslim or you know have African heritage or gay or d- yeah. anything like that. You know what? Let's just. Let's just shout out Braden Holtby, Brett Connolly, and Devontae Smith Pelly for last oh, yeah. season saying, Yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going. Every Fuck day. it. Shout out to those guys, big time. And and the other people around the league who who speak up when needs be like like JT Brown doesn't get enough press, I don't think, for yeah. for what he did. Yeah, he, that's true. That's it's true. not his, it's it's not his fault he's not as good a player as like Braden Holtby is, sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I know, I know what you mean. As we said, as we said a few weeks ago, players don't seem to get enough credit when they do good things. But when anything bad happens, it's it's all over the place. But shout out to those three especially for <clears throat> not going last time. All right, let's finish up with this last thing. Senators' attendance is. I just caught this story before we came on and became, before we came on the show last Thursday. The Blues are in town. The Stanley Cup champions were playing in Ottawa. Well. And the attendance was a shade over 9,000. <laughs> For you football fans out there, that's League One level, that is. <laughs> Jesus it is, right. Christ. It's even worse. Not only that, but it wasn't like fans were being priced out because some tickets were on StubHub for $12, which in English money is seven quid. <laughs> seven quid to watch a professional hockey team. In the best professional hockey league in the world, seven quid, and they got just over nine thousand fans to watch the cup champions. Hold on, wait. 
don't don't necessarily hold on, but I wanna I wanna see. Are you, are you looking at League One teams? Do you know the uh, capacity of the Coventry Blaze of the EIHL, our beloved EIHL? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Severin can uh, hold five thousand six hundred and twenty-one fans. Oh my god! <sighs> oh, god Almighty! Jeez, Louise! At some point, the league's got to step in. They've got to. The, the reports are as well. They've only sold three and a half thousand season tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Do you know what? If you're one of those three and a half thousand fans, God bless you. God bless you for putting your money down and going to support your team. But Christ almighty, three and a half thousand. That is mental. Caught, I've, I've, I've undersold this. The uh, average attendance for the Sheffield Steelers <laughs> last year was oh, 6,127. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deary me. Deary me. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! And that was the year right. after Kirky had left. Jesus. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, d- this week has been uh, the first game since their relocation to Winnipeg that the Jets haven't sold out in their arena, which is interesting. All right, Blackpool Football Club. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. What average? Have you got average attendance for me? I have got. Oh no, it's even better. It's even better. All right, hold on. Let's go. Let me let me have a look. In. Okay, no, so yeah, no, okay, okay, okay. Blackpool, Rotherham United, Lincoln City. <laughs> Lincoln City. Don't don't be cussing out Rotherham oh, all... over the uh, Chuckle Brothers. No, I'll say nothing to me. <laughs> did you see? Did you see? <laughs> you left video? me hanging then. Sorry, mate. Sorry. Did you see that video <laughs> when um Paul died? Didn't he? Or was it Barry? Either way, the first. Which one went first? Are they both dead? Yeah, but the other one died recently. Oh shit, I didn't even know. Well, when the first one died, did you see that video? Oh, just saying to me. Yeah, yeah no, the <laughs> no, the um he's at he's oh. at Rotherham. He's at a Rotherham yeah. game and like the whole stadium was shouting, To me, to oh, you, yeah. to me, to you. So good. So good. Fucking shout out to the Chuckle Big Brothers. Up the if Brothers. you don't know who they are and you God maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know, but Shout out to the Chuckle Brothers, a part of my youth. Anyone in North America who's listening, I'd say check out the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> but it's not like... You have to live in England to get it, I think. I think, I think, it's one I of think you things. have to live in England and be seven years old to get it. It's like saying go check out Basil Brush. Actually, yeah. Like, it's not... It's not... It's not... <laughs> Shout out to Basil Brush. Oh my God. Mate, I tell you, I feel like we're a bit robbed that the Chuckle Brothers never made it as big as Ant and Deck did. Do you know what's a fantastic point? That's a fantastic. Well, that Ro- if, do you know what? If Rodenberg got to the Premier League, maybe they'd have had a chance. <laughs> they, might have been, they might have been able to do it. <laughs> Paul and Barry on, on BT Sport doing punditry for, for Rotherham Premier League game. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, in E Barry's, oh, a couple more to me to use in the, in the other opponent's half. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> Go on, go on, go on. Who else have we got? That's I assume all these people have higher average attendances than than the centres do. Well, I'll say that the average attendance in League One of Peterborough United, Milton Keynes Dons, Doncaster Rovers, and Lincoln City were a shade under the centres' attendance, and then Bolton, Rotherham, Blackpool, Portsmouth, Ipswich, and Sunderland are all over. Uh, Bolton, now, Bolton, a team that are. Um... Bottom of League One. 
Bolton a team that nearly went out <laughs> that nearly went out of existence before the start of the season. They literally nearly folded the entire club and shut it down and ceased trading and said, that's it. This team no longer exists. It is done. They still have a higher attendance than the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I love football. Oh my god. I wonder if there's a League Two team that's got more uh Oh my god, yes. You legend, let's have a look. There's got to be someone in there. Someone who, who you think, are they in League 2? I mean, there's nobody who's jumping out at me. <laughs> oh, yes. Is it Crew? Is it Crew? <laughs> no, Crew got no chance. <laughs> oh, my God. People, I know we talk about football a lot, but for the uninitiated, League 2, <laughs> the lowest professional... <laughs> the lowest professional... You've seen I have it. Just seen the it. lowest professional... The lowest professional football league in this country. The players on these teams, some of them are part-time. So some of them play football as like a secondary job. It's not their main income. Some of them will be earning around about, yeah, 200 200 pounds a week, which probably equates to about $300 a week. That's what some of these players earn. And some of these players play in stadiums. Yeah. For like like the mid table like League Two like you know how are players for Exeter City gonna earn you know you got a whole squad you know they're not gonna earn like four or five grand a week are they they're getting like pittance yeah like, seriously it's probably like a, a grand a week or something like well no I said I mean some of the players obviously the better ones are gonna get that but there will be players here who will be earning around about three four hundred dollars a month uh, three hundred three four hundred dollars a week to play a supposed in a supposed professional league in this country those players who play for Bradford City. And Plymouth Argyle <laughs> get a higher average attendance than the Ottawa Senators. 14,000 for every home game in Bradford. That's just mental. This country has a problem. Like a serious problem. I know. We're actually opening up another wound here <laughs> in regards to like, Jesus Christ, like people got to do something better with their time than go to football games. We're severely addicted yeah. to uh, to football. <laughs> People, there's other things to do with your life. It's fine. You can go and do other things. If, if, if we can compare apples to apples as close as we can with this football analogy, AFC Bournemouth, the uh, the lowest attendance in the Premier League, uh, a, a team that is widely considered to have a ground that is unfit for the top tier of professional sports, <laughs> so true. have a higher average attendance than Ottawa does. Do you know what's insane? If Bradford City started getting Ottawa attendances, they'd be like, oh my god, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're going to have to fold. <laughs> we're only playing on players. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Oh my god. The league has got to do something. The league has to do something. Get okay, Eugene. Who's, who's chairman of Bradford? <laughs> Give you Gina's number. <laughs> oh, oh bloody hell! Odd. One last thing I want to check. I never thought about young Bradford. <laughs> I didn't think that would be that funny. Oh, it's always funny. I just want to see where. Um, what do you reckon Bradford's ground hang on, is? Hang on, hang on. No, 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 hang on. I'm checking the Vanarama Conference. <laughs> <laughs> Conference South. <laughs> Oh, Welling, 4,000. Interesting. <laughs> you could have been. Oh, my God. Notts County, they're not, they're not over. Oh, shit, Notts County. Yeah, but Notts County, 
Notts County of the Vanarama National League, which I guarantee, if unless you live anywhere near England, you will have never even heard of this entire league, let alone some of these teams. Notts County's average attendant is only 4,000 less than Ottawa. They average 5,500 per home game. Mate, that's ridiculous. And this, and Notts County, is at least, even if they were top of the league, they would still be the 93rd best team in England, statistically. 93rd. And they only get fourth. They only get 4,000 less than Ottawa. To, uh, to be fair to Ottawa, it's a bit unfair to compare them to Bradford. Because population-wise, <laughs> uh, Bradford have a third as many people <laughs> as Ottawa do. God almighty. <laughs> Oh, oh my good god do you know what i really enjoyed that little ride with it on there that little that, that little trip down um average attendances in certain, <laughs> in certain places there's nothing i, I, I never thought me. i'd laugh so hard at the average attendance of, of bradford city football club <laughs> it's the bottom one that got me like they nearly oh, went god. out of existence <laughs> and they still average more than the sense Oh, oh dear me! Oh, right. Okay, okay. We've got to do one last, one last, <laughs> one last one. Go on. Oh, don't know. I've got to try and find it. What? <laughs> what do Berry's attendance was last? Year? I don't know. I don't know. Were they in? Uh, were they in League One? They were, weren't they? Why'd you pick? Why'd you pick Berry? Because they literally did go out of business. Oh my God! Yes, of course. <laughs> oh done. I'm nearly there. Oh my god. I'm so buzzing. Ah, four thousand per game. But yeah, they went bankrupt. Still still <laughs> A team that went out of business. A team that is no longer exists got four thousand fans. And they uh, a team with uh, less than a quarter the uh, population of no less than a fifth the population of Ottawa. We need to we need to just send Gaz Bettman this audio, don't we? And just say, do you understand how bad this is? Not like, do you understand what Meldrick's done to this team? Come on, mate. You, that, yeah, you know, you've stepped in before. Just do it again. <clears throat> oh my god! Oh, sweet fancy Moses. <laughs> that was excellent. There's there's nothing that screams good podcast content than uh, a, a bunch of Englishmen reading out average attendances <laughs> for lower league football teams and just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though isn't it it's not until you look at the cold hard facts about certain teams around the world in different leagues that you think hang on a minute this is a disaster is a and Ottawa is a disaster oh, Christ alive again Ottawa fans oh, you know what Ottawa fans you have my sympathies oh my god nah nah no sympathy for Ottawa fans anymore sack them off mate <laughs> To be fair though to be fair though I guess that the, the poor attendants I, I mean a lot of them are just voting with their wallets aren't they I'm not going why should I go this you know this team's a joke the ownership's a joke you know they're, they're taking this 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 franchise that i care about and they're just making it into a laughing stock so i don't blame them for not going all right let's get off this before we start looking into other leagues around the world yeah before i feel we've uh we've come very far and been very fortunate so let's uh let's wrap it up before my baby wakes up how many fans are at the kabaddi world cup this year let's find out <laughs> thousands upon thousands the entirety yeah. of bradford city's away contingent Turned out for the Kabaddi World Cup. Yeah, bloody hell. All right, let's move on. Last thing, man versus eight-year-old. Hey, Will, you schmuck. You're going to get roasted by an eight-year-old, you fool. Will, good start for you. You are 4-3 up. Fucking so, go on. Get in. All you've got to do is, 
All you got to do is maintain. Let's ban these results out. All right. Wild Canadians. Oh, shit. Canadians. Rangers caps. Caps. Flames ducks. Fla- ducks. Yeah, ducks. It doesn't feel ducks. right, but I mean, they're winning more games at the moment, so yeah, ducks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vegas Flyers. Uh, Vegas has to be. Um, Penguins Panthers. Oh shit! The Penguins is yeah. After they pulled out those results, okay. like yeah, you can't. If the, if the if the Panthers have been playing like as well as they should be playing, then it'd be an easy pick for the Panthers, but they aren't. <laughs> so. Yeah, they aren't. So they who, who do you reckon is going to win out of the battle of Sidney Crosby versus Sergei Bobrovsky? <laughs> when you put it like that, it's a good point. Cheers, listening, folks. Massive thank you to Paul Campbell for coming on. Appreciate his time. Good up, Paul. We'll see you next week. Well, any last words? No, just exciting stuff coming forward, as he said earlier. Please like, rate, and subscribe, as they say. Like it will really help us out and stuff like that. I, I think I speak for both of us to when I say we don't do as much as we'd want to do as much as you know life and work allows us to do so if we can get let's throw it out there Dan if we can get a seat gig sponsorship like every other hockey podcast out there then we might be a bit more yeah, uh, free to do as we please you know what one last thing as well real talk now between us us, uh, us hockey fans on the on real talk here is that if we can justify to our wives why we get to drop some days at work to do podcasting instead <laughs> It makes it a lot easier for us if we have monetary value attached to that. Or, or even just watching the games, you know, being able to <laughs> yeah. say, oh, can I, yeah, I'm going to have to watch a hockey game tonight, love, because, yeah, I've got to do research for work, innit? That's a, that's a dream. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right, folks, take care. We'll see you. Peace. Peace.